Welcome back, Rebels. Do it yourself. Yeah, you should do it yourself. If no one's going to give you the option, then sometimes you have to take it into your own hands. Hmm. We don't know often, do we? I think it's like one of the most bravest things in the world is to is to just take that initiative and, and start something yourself. And I think that we are trained to just join things that are already a success, that are already up and running. And I mean, I suppose things are changing, like podcasting is huge, but still the majority of people listening to this don't think, oh, I could do a podcast. It's just kind of the way the whole school system works. It sets you up as a way to go and join something. It's like you do your education in a way to get a job, which is effectively joining another company, joining someone else's mission, joining something else that someone else has created. And you rarely get that, say, that no one really teaches you, well, you can just go and start something yourself. It sounds like so simple, but the way that our whole lives is kind of like led always lead to this going to work, going to join someone else's thing rather than building your own. Yeah, and I mean, at the end of the day, it's all about happiness. And if you can join a team that's going in the same direction that you want to go, then that's absolutely great. Because, and, and I suppose yeah. it comes down to self-awareness of, of that question that I think is the most important question, which is what do you actually want? And most people don't know what they actually want. And as soon as you can find out what you want, then you you can work out the ways to get to it. And if one thing that you want, there's already someone else going about doing that and you can help them, then that's cool. But a lot of times the thing that you want doesn't exist in the world. So it's your mission to then go and make that thing exist. I think that's important, the fact that the thing you want might already exist and it might be there already. So, and there's someone who could potentially just give that to you. And that's going to save you a hell of a lot of work. Um, For example, if you just want to, if there's a specific job that you would just love to have more than anything in the world and that job exists and there's an opening for it and you've got the experience, then go and do that because that's going to save you so much headache. But if there's that job exists and you don't have the experience for it and you maybe you apply for it and get rejected and another one comes up and you apply for it and you get rejected and it's just this constant like you never have the experience to get there, then you kind of end up in this bit of a catch-22 where you haven't got the experience to get that job but without doing the job you can't get the experience so i think the only option there to break out of that catch 22 to get out of that cycle is to start something on your own whenever we get profiled or featured anywhere where they always describe us as like the anti nine to five guys and it's like that's they've missed the point like that totally isn't us like we're actually very pro yeah. nine to five if you can find it something that makes you happy but just because it's so much fucking easier um but you're you're absolutely right like where especially if you are trying to get a job with someone if you're approaching them with no experience with no portfolio building your own portfolio first is so valuable and like you have such a huge advantage because no one does that like everyone has their own personal instagram account but it's of no value when they go and step into an interview. But if you can show them an account that's like, look, I've got a thousand followers here who are engaged with this this collage work that I make. And that's, do, do you know what I mean, that you, you bring something. No matter what it is you want to go for, you can start to build that experience on your own. Like if you want to become a print designer and you've applied to every fashion house to do prints for them and they've all rejected you, but you've never actually gone and made a print off your own back because just something you might want to do, then I don't blame them for not giving you a job. Whereas, yeah, if you can prove that you can create some amazing prints, like 
actually with places like that it won't all come down to just what you studied at university. Most of the time for good design companies it's going to come down to what your portfolio is and what you can do because it's like if I'm running a creative business and you and I need a creative to come and work for me what education you've get, got doesn't really matter too much if I can see that you've got I can see you can do the thing like if you can prove that you can do that and do it well and without anyone else helping you you've gone and done it on your own then you're so valuable and that might actually turn into something that you don't actually end up going to get that job that you wanted to get because you actually just enjoy doing it and you just carry on and it becomes a success on its own but building that portfolio and really trying and like developing to be able to present to a potential employer of like oh this is what I can do is just like it's the way to go. I think maybe this is uh, me uh, like delving a little bit too deep into this but it sort of it makes me think about like people having this end goal and really like there is no end goal like your working life you're going to be working probably for the foreseeable future like most people are working for most of their lives there's sort of this twilight period at the end where people have this quote-unquote retirement I mean it doesn't need to be quote-unquote it's just a retirement um but there's this (laughs) end like there's this end utopia at the end which is which is retirement the people who are happy and fulfilled in their jobs they want to carry on working and they hate the idea of retirement like yeah. that what so that means i stop doing the thing that i love and i've really been thinking recently it's like i all this hard work if this pays off it's going to allow me to carry on doing more hard work that's how yeah. i feel about everything at the moment and it's like that's a really beautiful thing of like i i don't want to do all this hard work so to then not have to do any hard work and it's maybe what people don't want to hear i i think uh, that being said like if you're listening to this podcast then you're probably not one of those ones that's like i want to just sail off into a yacht somewhere and go and be something boring it's like you are set alight like you are set on fire by the thing that you do the thing that you love and that's what you want to carry on doing that for a long time yeah it reminds me of what i say about kind of trying to have a like 52 weeks of the year that you enjoy doing rather than just the four weeks you'd have as holiday and like not living for just those four weeks i suppose that comes into a broader life thing of don't work something you don't like doing for the next 40 50 60 years so you can have a good little bit of fun at the end it's really important to be able to enjoy that journey as you go along and make sure that the journey you're on is something you enjoy doing. And yes, it's going to have its hard parts and it's going to be miserable at times. But as long as you're always working towards something that makes you happy, I think that is absolutely key. And there's going to be different parts of everyone's working life that that are really important to them. So it might be the actual craft and the actual process, like the thing that you make. It might be, so say you make a podcast, it might be like the editing that you really love. Um, or it might be the interaction that you get from your fans. If you sell dresses and every DM that you get that's a selfie of someone wearing your product, that's the thing that sets you on fire. It's like, it's finding those and being really aware to let those in, like those moments that bring you joy. It's because I've I've started to realise like, it's not the process of painting that sets me on fire. Like I, I definitely do get into flow state and then I release a 15 second video of it and that 15 seconds is a breakdown of what's taken six or seven hours and it's like that's a long time and if you're outside and you're in the cold and whatever it's like that's not 
it's like happiness is not this like permanent like i'm not up on the roof going yeah, yes yeah, this yeah. is amazing like do you know what i mean i'm not filled with adrenaline as as i walk up and down a, a rickety ladder yeah you're not just walking around in life on this absolute high yeah that's that's like that's like a myth it's like i am i'm really happy and i i i'm glad that i'm going to go and stand outside in the cold for the next six hours but it's 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 not the process that's that's bringing me the happiness it's getting into a flow state it's it's developing it's seeing it's learning the medium even 20 years in of, of using a spray can like still learning new things and seeing the way that, that the paint behaves and it's all of those little things that i take notice of rather than just the whole process of of painting and then and then also i get a load of like i think any creative gets so much from like sharing the thing that they've made and going look here's yeah. something i did and getting people to to tell you whether they love it or hate it yeah that reminds me of just people we've had in the show who are from like a foodie kind of background where it's like the process is obviously like making the food but then as soon as you can share it with other people and someone else says this is delicious then there's so much reward in that and going back to what we were talking about at the start it's like if you want to be a chef or something it's like by just making the food and sharing it with people on your own then if you can then you'll learn to develop and you will get better and then if actually if you then you applied to work in a, a kitchen or you opened your own restaurant like it all comes down to all of the work you put into it just off your own back because you enjoyed doing it because you wanted to get better at your craft over time it's that like doing it yourself is what's going to make success happen yeah having the bravery to take that leap because there's people believe that there's going to be this magic moment where all of a sudden they're ready for it you're never going to be ready for it like every time that you you go into a new venture it is a leap of faith um but like just just have the confidence and i mean so I wish that when I was like 21, 22, I listened to this uh, interview that we're about to listen to with Tori West because because like at that age, I had no clue what I was doing and I didn't think that I could do it myself. I didn't think that that was an option to like, like the way she started Bricks Magazine. It's like, it's a labor of love. It's something that she decided that she was going to make a magazine. Like if you said to 20 year old me, you can make a magazine, like I what no i can't but she's done it it's totally possible so whatever it is like if you want to make a tv show that sounds impossible if you want to make a movie it sounds impossible if you want to start a podcast if you want to start whatever your idea is it is totally possible and this and this is proof and when you think of everything that tori had going against her like in terms of the system in terms of like the the background that she came from everything going against her and she's still gone ahead and done it it's really inspiring creativity is just it's so powerful in the way that you don't need to be you don't need to have all of the best equipment the best team in the world to make something a success it just needs to you just need to create something that's good enough that a certain amount of people enjoy and um as you were talking there about like making a film and stuff it just or like getting making a TV show. It reminds me of, um, there's a guy on YouTube I watch called Casey Neistat, and he years ago had a show on HBO, which was just recorded with a handheld video camera, just of him and his brother living their daily life. And they just packaged it into something that could be sold to a TV company. And the TV company bought it and just completely changed their lives. And even when you think of stuff like Jackass, like that is just started as such a basic concept of just some friends having fun being silly and recording it 
and selling that to a TV network and now you've got a TV show. It's just the element of actually going to do it. And it's like, I guarantee, like I don't know their backgrounds, but I bet Johnny Knoxville, 10 years before Jackass launched, was walking around with a video camera just recording stupid things. I bet it was something that he'd been doing for years and years and years beforehand. And I think that is the important thing to just go out and start, start doing the thing before you even need it. Because when it actually comes around to it and you actually want to think, ah, I'm going to make a TV show, then you've already started to build up that skill to actually go and do that. Yeah. Believe in yourself. You are, you're probably capable than more than you can imagine. So that uh, brings us beautifully on to this week's guest, which is Tori West. Tori West is a writer, publisher, part-time cleaner, which we'll get into later, and the editor of Bricks Magazine. Tori provides honest insight into the creative industries and what it takes for many of us to support our creative careers. She champions the underdog and smashes preconceptions, giving a voice to the young, the working class, to LGBTQ creators, and to any group that isn't given the opportunities that they deserve. In this episode, we talk about making a magazine, side hustles, and young creatives. Boom, boom, boom. That's your opinion on emerging creators that you didn't think that I could produce that because I'm a student and that's the whole bloody problem. Yeah. Hi Tori. Hi. Welcome to our show. Thank you so much for having me. So we were having a little talk before we started this podcast and I was bigging you up massively because I think you're amazing. Um, you are so honest and I think and I think it's really fucking important and I think it's really like cool to get across to especially to freelancers like it's okay to it's okay to support yourself it's okay to pay your bills and it's okay to like do what you love as much as you can and if that pays your bills great but if not you still have to survive so so like what do you do to survive so i run bricks magazine i've been doing that for the past six years so i guess that's probably what i'm most known for and i'm also a freelance writer and i'm also a part-time cleaner um i have multiple streams of income because bricks has never for the first three years like i I didn't take a penny it was just me kind of self-funding everything then after three years it was kind of i'd have like the odd brand partnership and that's when brands kind of like took me a bit more seriously and i remember having a meeting with one of my distributors at the time and he was like no one will take you seriously until issue seven And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm literally at this pace. I'm doing one a year. Like no one's going to be taking me seriously for years. So I need to think of other ways to make money because I want to be able to afford and fund to do what I love. Why do you think that is the the issue seven thing? Is it because most people quit before the seventh one? Yeah, I think it's changed a lot now, to be honest, because now there was like, like at the time when I first sat at Bricks, there wasn't this like huge independent publishing boom as there is now, like zine culture is kind of like rebirthed in London. And I think there's a lot of people now like thinking of considering at uni is like you can do a lot of people's final major products. You have like a magazine, it's like an option that you can submit as a thing. So it was like now I think it's not like that at all. But back when I started Bricks six years ago, that wasn't really so much a thing. There was only like a handful of independence um, and I lived in Bristol at the time actually and it was actually the boys from Crack Magazine that inspired me to do it because I was like these guys that I'd met had just been doing it in their bedrooms and I was like 
if they can do it, like I can do it. So that's kind of like where that comes from. But um, in terms of like the financing to like survive situation, I've always, I've never had any money. I grew up in like a really low income background. I grew up on a council estate. Um, I wanted to go into publishing. I never thought that that was like an accessible job for me because in Wales, the only sort of like publishing industry is kind of like the mainstream news press. There's no like magazine space there, especially with like fashion and arts culture. And I'm a massive believer that you, it's really difficult to know that you can be something that you can't see. So that was like a massive thing for me. So that's why I'm so vocal. So I'm always very vocal about everything that I'm doing because I think no one, no one speaks openly about their side hustles and things like no one talks about how hard it is in the industry to like make money, especially if you're from like a low income background, you know? Yeah, so when you when you were a kid and you're you're living in council estate and you're you're really interested in publishing and obsessed with magazines, like what what was the disconnect there when you're buying a publication like Vogue and you're seeing this kind of was it like was it aspirational for you or was it did it bring you down? Like how like how did it make you feel? I had such a weird relationship with magazines like growing up. Like for a multitude of different reasons. Like I think the main thing was coming from a working class background and living in this like tiny place in Wales, the only place there was one magazine store that was like a news agent and I loved it in there. It had like thousands of magazines in there. But it was like more kind of like the weird annuals that you would buy like the kids the kids annuals that you'd collect over time like the rugrats around the world magazine yeah. like things like that which i loved and then there was also asda and obviously we didn't grow up with a lot of money but my mum's way of engaging me with the cleaning and the housework and doing all my chores was if you're if you do it on a Friday when I go to the shop, I'll buy you one magazine and a pack of strawberry laces. And that was like my set and those are like my two favourite things now still. <laughs> it's like a pack of strawberry laces <laughs> magazine. And um so I get these magazines and then I go home and then I look through them all and be like I love the design and I love like looking at a full page. And it wasn't necessarily what was in there because everything that was in there was so inaccessible to me. I, I can open a magazine and see myself like, oh my God, yeah, I can afford, I'm going to afford that like four grand cardigan. Yeah. And I used to sit there and I used to drive my mum mad. And because obviously we don't have a lot of money. And I'd be sat there and I was, every Saturday I'd like wake up in the morning and I'd get all my magazine archive out and they'd be all over the floor and I'd be ripping everything out of them and sticking them in the notebooks, like the bits I liked. And my mum would come upstairs yeah. and I'd be like, oh my God. And she's like, I can't believe you're doing it again. You're ripping up all those magazines that I bought you. And I was like, but mum, they're crap. We can't afford anything in them anyway. I'm making them better. So it's like, even at like a young age, I didn't know what I was doing at the time, but I was actually making zines. But I didn't know that at the time because no one around kind me- was curating your own content. Yeah. And I think another thing, apart from, you know, everything being really inaccessible to me, like my generation grew up in this world of publishing where it was built around the shame of women's bodies. Like it was literally, you'd have like magazine covers like at the news agents, literally circling women, the flaws, what they consider yeah, flaws yeah, on women's yeah. bodies. Um, so I think now it's like independent publishing now is like we've really gone against that. 
and I really admire everyone who are kind of like in pub, not in mainstream publishing now because it's kind of like we used all those things and we're just like this isn't right and kind of broke it down and did it ourselves so I really admire people who do that it's so interesting by cutting out the pieces that you did like and then discarding the bits that you didn't you've kind of carried that forward and now you you've kept the bits that you did like and and discarded all the stuff you didn't well I've always wanted so when I was younger but I thought it was quite embarrassing that I didn't want to admit that I wanted to do writing because I went I went to all Welsh language school so my first language is actually Welsh all my education was in Welsh the only like kind of English lesson I had was English for like three hours a week maybe like three lessons a week so I wasn't confident like in my written English whatsoever and I feel really embarrassed when people would be like um what do you want to do when you're older and I always knew that I was like I want to be a writer I want to be in magazines I want to write books and I just didn't have the confidence and I remember in my GCSEs which sounds so ridiculous now because any, anyone doing their GCSEs right now that's really important. But looking back on it now, I thought it was like the be all and end all of my life. And I molded my yeah. entire view of what I thought I could do based on what my teachers were telling me. So my teacher would be like, you will never be a published writer because your English isn't good enough. And I was predicted an E in my English GCSE. So I was like having none of it. And I studied, 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 and I managed to get it up to a B in the end. But that still was enough to give me like enough confidence to think I could be a writer because I just thought I was crap because that's what and I didn't know any writers. Do you know what I mean? So I thought I'd have to go into admin yeah. or finance or something because I knew more people doing like practical or I guess like really financy jobs that you think you should go to uni for. So I found that really difficult and I went to uni and I did the wrong course. So I went on to do fashion which was great because it was like bracketed. So it's like, instead of just doing fashion journalism or you, you kind of go into your subject straight away, it was all under the thing of fashion. So luckily I could change, but I spent like a year and a half on fashion design and I hated it. Like I literally hated it, but I only thought because I was creative, my mum was a seamstress. That's all I saw. I thought, oh, that's what yeah. I'm going to do. And, like, I literally hated it. Like, I couldn't do pattern cutting. Like, I never went in. Like, I literally didn't want to be there at all. And then I begged. I found out someone was making magazines on the communication course. And I remember begging my tutor, being like, I'm going to leave. I'm so unhappy. Like, please, can I make, kind of switch over the course? And it was, like, the best thing I ever did. So then when I was, like, 20, that's when I realized what it was that I enjoyed doing. And it was just making magazines. That's all I wanted to do after that. But it was, it was weird that from a young age I was doing it but because no one around me was yeah. telling me what it was and I didn't see it I didn't put two and two together so it took me years to like figure out what it was that I was really passionate about I think there's something in looking back to your childhood to work out what it is you like to do because quite often when you were growing up there was no pressures in the world there was no you've got to do this to make money you, you just do it because it's generally fun and you like doing it because you've got x amount of time to just play so it's interesting to look back and be like, well, what did I do when I just played? Because sometimes if people now are currently in a bit of a rut and they're like, I just don't know what I like doing. Like maybe look, maybe looking back can help like unearth those things that you actually used to love doing. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like in all the hardness of 2020 and everything that's go on, going on, I think actually one of the benefits that's come out of this year is that people have started actually 
figuring out what it is that they love doing beyond their day job because that's so important like you're way more than your day job whether you love it or not you still yeah. should have like other interests and like like it's unhealthy for me to think that like bricks is it is my entire life but it's it's unhealthy to think that I think you should have like lots of different because when that gets stressful you feel like your entire life's stressful you know so I think it's yeah. that's the nice thing of this year is that people have actually taken time out and realized what they love and also we stopped kind of making art for Instagram and things now we've started doing it as a form of um like I don't know what happened but all of a sudden we stopped making art for ourselves and it wasn't our outlet anymore yeah, we just started making it for Instagram yeah, I think that was a really nice thing at the start of lockdown where there was that massive shift in creativity and people being like, well, I've now got this time, this time that I've been so busy head down in my job that I haven't allowed myself to have any time. So then they've been like, okay, well, let's be creative. Let's actually give myself some time to try and get my mental health back, like to just appreciate creativity again and to do something for myself rather than for other people. And I think it was so nice to see that develop in people being like actually well I'm not just going to make this to make money to do as a job I'm going to do this because actually I've got time for the first time in years to actually sit and take some time for myself yeah exactly no it's interesting I think that's like one of the nicest things that's come out of this year definitely I remember early in lockdown actually I went on a Joe uh, Charlie XX did that whole album in her in lockdown basically and I thought it was amazing because yeah. I hadn't seen an artist do something like that and her management had asked me to go on the kind of like first Q&A that was on a Zoom call. And she was telling me how um, she just started painting rocks and she found out that she really enjoyed rock painting. And I was like, you're literally, <laughs> I see you as like one of the most successful music artists. It's like probably so busy. And you're telling me you're just sat in your house in LA painting rocks. <laughs> and I just think it's like that's like a really nice thing to do you know it's like it's like you think that you do have to have these other things that you're doing to keep you calm because I think especially as a creative when you make your like I've somehow I don't know how and I never thought this would be my life but I've made my hobby my job and that's amazing yeah. but it's like you do I don't want to ever hate my job so when it gets stressful and I'm like oh my gosh I do need other avenues to calm me down because I've made the thing that did calm me down my stressful job you know yeah I was watching I don't know if you've seen it there's like a new documentary on Netflix at the moment called The Social Dilemma which is like fascinating it's all about it's all about kind of like the algorithms and basically how they've basically built these like technology platforms to just keep you as addicted as possible and to they all just react to if you haven't used it for a while then then start to ping you things to get you back and it really made me think because I was like, well, what is the solution to that? Like, how can you get away from that? And I feel like creativity is that little escape. It's like, that's a time where you're just on your own. You're away from all of these things binging at you. And it's like, you're free. It's like a little bit of freedom. And I think that's what people have really kind of grabbed onto within lockdown is because they're finally free. Their brain's finally like, oh my God, this is amazing. Like, obviously there's a lot of shit going on in the world, but I've actually, my brain's, relaxed for the first time in however many years mm, no yeah it's really nice to see really nice to see it's being able to like kind of reframe it as well as because like a lot of times we see what we do as work but like being able to reframe our work as actually our freedom like our work is the thing that's allowing us to escape yeah absolutely 
So um, how did Bricks come about? So it was actually, as I was kind of like saying earlier, but it was my final major project for uni. Um, and that's how I ended up starting it. And it was actually, again, like me, basically I, everything I do is because I get angry about something and it's my way of counteracting how it makes me feel. So like content for me and making things is my kind of, this makes me feel really crap or I'm really angry. And that's why I'm so political in the the magazines because I get what absolutely wild about politics and then I have to counteract it somehow to make myself feel better so it's kind of like almost a selfish thing that I need it to keep me feeling okay and when I was uh, in my final year they were like you need to make a magazine but it has to be all your own work all your own styling all your photography all your own writing and design and I was like, yeah, okay, I understand why you're giving me this project because it's, you know, I'll learn how to do everything, which is great. I needed to yeah, learn yeah. how to do that. But then at the same time, I was like, that's so unrealistic. Why would I do that? So I listened to the brief and I did this magazine. I can't remember what it was called and put that in with all my final work and put it in as like my final major project. And then I made bricks as like a literally like a 64 page test print like add in I slipped in and I collabed with like a load of different photographers artists to like bring it together so I was like this is what it would look like if I was in the industry and I didn't tell my uni I was doing it because sometimes I've learned that teachers will do things where they'd be like no don't do that and I'm like but I want to do it so I just didn't tell them and I set it up like a proper magazine so I um I was really secretive about it. And I remember I changed my name inside it. I set up an Instagram. No one knew who ran this magazine. And then when it got to Graduate Fashion Week, people were stopping me and being like, I didn't know this was a student magazine. I've seen it on Instagram. Like, I didn't know it was a graduate project. So it's like, and because I literally was just like, no, I want to do this like properly. And it's that, and that's when I realized that comment from Graduate Fashion Week was like, that's your opinion on emerging creators that you didn't think that I could produce that because I'm a student and that's the whole bloody problem. You think because I'm an emerging creator that I can make work that's the standard that should be in mainstream publishing. And that's what really upset me. And that's why I carried it on was because it's kind of like, no, I wanted to prove a point. And that's, so it's like, I started just to prove a point to my uni that this is how you shouldn't make a magazine. And then after that comment, I was like, this is why I'm going to carry it on. And it's kind of always had that same kind of attitude, to be honest with you. And people wonder why like imposter syndrome is a thing. It's because we're being told consistently, like you'll never be good enough. This is not. And, and what I love about your story is that a lot of times like we have like really really successful creators on here and i think for a lot of people listening it's it's always difficult when they say something like because i've done this you can do this but like that's that's because people have these internal hurdles that they need to get over because literally you you were like i can do this you did do this and now you're like interviewing huge celebrities like it's given you a a platform it's a place where you can voice your opinions you can bring about discussion huge collaboration like this is all off of your own back it's like i think one of the things when i look back on it is that i am so even i don't know whether it's imposter syndrome i don't know i'm so underqualified for what i do 
when I get things given to me, I'm like, I have to learn still on the spot because I didn't do like an internship at a magazine. I couldn't afford to. Like I couldn't afford to live in London for free. I couldn't like all these things I, I didn't have access to. So I fucked up. I've made mistakes and I've learned it all off my own back. I don't know internally if other magazines run the way I do. I don't, I don't know. The only yeah. experience that I had at another publication is that I had like a small brief stint of my life which moved me to London actually, was uh, I worked at ID for like four months as a social editor and I hated it. Not, I love ID, but I hated the job, like, because it was just me posting things and I hate Instagram, like I hate social media. So I was like, actually, this isn't creative. This is like analytics and this is driving me to the point of no return. So yeah, I I couldn't do that. But um. It, no one realizes that like I have no industry experience really so now when like mainstream publications come to me so like last year I was like so proud of myself it's like one of my proudest achievements and it sounds so basic but I when I was younger one of the all the magazines I used to buy were like obviously Condé Nast or Elle um I liked Elle because it seemed a little bit more accessible than Vogue so I used to buy it more yeah and I got to write in print. I got asked to write an article in print for Al last year. And I was like, what? And then when I got it, I was like so happy. And I was like, this is to my teacher that told me I was going to fail. And I'd never be a published writer. Now I'm in Al. <laughs> so it's, like, it's just like, it's one of those things is like you have to, I think the most invaluable lesson that I've learned in all honesty is realizing that if you want to start something yourself, you have to work on your flaws. And at school, they always tell you, do what you're good at, concentrate on one thing. You can't have multiple things. Like me, my dad would be like, you have to be good at one thing to be good at it. And I was just like, that, that to me, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Like if I run a business, I'm so scared of, I used to be so scared of answering the phone. I I'm still like it sometimes. I'm scared of someone being like, give me money that I haven't paid like 10 years ago and it's the police or something. Like is my intrusive <laughs> thoughts, like hypothetical, like ridiculous worrying. Um, but I was like, I need to get over this because I'm always going to be the main contact for everything. So I'm going to have to get over that. So I literally got a job in a call center. And I worked there for six months. So I had to be on the other line and call them, (laughs) call, call people. And I hated it at first. And then actually I really enjoyed it because I just got to spoke to like elderly people all day who just really wanted to have a nice chat with me. And it it got me over that fear. And I think that's like a huge thing that no one gets taught is how you need to work on the things that you're not actually okay at. And it's okay to fail and it's okay to fuck up because actually you'll never do it again. If someone tells you not to do something and you don't understand the consequences of it, like I, was, I oh my God, like a few years ago, I sent something to print in RGB and the covers come back, like literally burnt. And there was like yeah. 5,000 copies that had to get sent back and I had to blame it on the printer and I knew it was me. And I was like, you've messed up the covers, it's not me because I couldn't afford to print it again. And then they changed them for me and realized what happened and like were really nice to me and changed all the covers for me. But I would never do that again, ever. Like you wouldn't, you would never do that again. Like, cause that's the most like yeah. ridiculous thing to do. Like you have to fuck up and you have to work on like your, your flaws and your failures, I think, to get where you're at. And when you do make your job and you do things like that, you do always feel like imposter syndrome cause you've made your own job. And there's, there's no, there's no man. There's no like straight white cis man being like, who's your, usually the boss being like, well done, Tori, you've done a good job. Like it's, it's just you. It's just, and that's it. 
that's really hard. I feel like the idea of working on your weaknesses is something that I feel like it's probably the school system that kind of gets out of us. Because if you think like in year seven at school, you're doing like 15 subjects and then you go to GCSE and it narrows down again and you, you only do the things that you're good at and then A-level goes down again. You need to get down to one. It like all sends you down one path. Yeah, they only let, they only let you do. Sorry to cut you across. I was just like, oh my God, yeah, it's true. They don't actually <laughs> let you do the subjects that you want to do. Like I remember like they wouldn't let me do, I knew what I wanted to do. I only wanted to do creative stuff. So I was like, I want to do art. I want to do textiles. And they're like, no. And I was like, well, why not? And they're like, you can't do that because they're both art subjects. And I was like, well, that's why I want to do it because that's what I want to do. I need them both to get into the uni that I want to do. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm not picking one or the other. You have to give it to me. And then I ended up moving schools. So it's like, I think that's really like a bad system. Like you should, and just because someone's bad at something doesn't mean that they don't enjoy it. If you put them on the course, they might learn more and might get quite a lot out of it. And it's what they want to do. I think I was really lucky at school because I was very kind of like pushy with my teachers. And for GCC, you had to pick a language and you had to pick a humanity. But I just gave them a good enough case that, look, this is where I'm going to head. This is my specific route. I want to go into something like architecture or something that's like creative and visual. So in the end, they like they were kind of fine with it. Yeah, definitely. I think there is a massive like disconnect on how much we trust like young people to make decisions for themselves. Yeah. Like across the board, like career, everything. And I think that's a real shame that that that's a thing because it does carry on like further on in life so you, that you need to trust the youth to have decisions yeah. for themselves like age of voting like things like that it does like that like honestly i've met kids who are literally like 14 15 that i put on the cover for uh issue seven um we did the rise together issue and oh my god like these kids are the most amazing kids i've ever met in my life and some of them are 14 they're between the ages of like 14 to 18 um, they're youth climate activists for the UK Student Climate Network. And honestly, they were like every weekend, they were like uh, organising all the rallies, all the school strikes, they were the organisers of them. Um, they're, they're honestly incredible. And they're so engaged with politics, like Eli saved money to fly to the Amazon rainforest to see how they were affected by the climate crisis there and the fires that had just happened there. And came back to report that, I think it was to uh, the European Parliament. He's 14. Like, <laughs> why can't he vote? Like, why, like, this, honestly, it blows my mind that no one really, like, gives young people the benefit to make their own choices, you know? The internet has just changed everything. It's it's really funny. I, I, I think about just a few years ago when... I felt as a millennial, there was like this moment where we were on top of the world and that all of the, we, we were kind of putting the wrongs right and we had this voice and everything and like social media was changing everything. And then so quickly, like the other week, I was just watching these TikToks of all of these Gen Zers taking the piss out of millennials with stuff that just like hit me to the core. I was like, oh my God, that's so well observed. That's so correct. <laughs> and like, I watch a lot of TikToks from these kids who are like 20 years younger than me. And I'm like, oh shit, you're you're so much further ahead at 15 years old than, than I was. It's just incredible. And it's because they have this like from 
whenever they get their first smartphone, they have this like accelerated learning. They're learning so much more on social media. Like it's but like especially a platform like TikTok, they're learning so much more there than they are in lessons. And I think that's just that's only gonna keep accelerating and that's gonna give us a brighter future with more informed kids who are are finding out like what feels right and and going down those paths and I think that's I think that's a good thing no absolutely I think there's reasons like that also is like I work with quite a lot of young people with bricks is because I feel like I personally don't believe in like hierarchy systems like I don't like understand it like it's really bizarre to me I think that's why I'm not very good in the workplace because I'm like why are you telling me to do that in that tone of voice <laughs> like I just don't like it I'd like to believe I know it's far-fetched but I'd like to believe that everyone should have their own equal say regardless of where you are in the workplace like everyone's just as important um so I do work with a lot of kids and I've done, I think, three now. We had nine nine young people on the youth climate cover last issue. And we also had Mary Copany, who's little Miss Flint, who's the leading activist in Flint for the water crisis there. And I think she's... I, I don't know. I feel like she started when she was, like, six or seven. She was so young. Like, so young. And even, like, Lizzo's, like, a massive fan of her. She's, like, sick. Um, so she was on the last cover as well. And then also Desmond's amazing. So he was like the youngest ever drag kid at 11. Because it's like, I think these people are just like phenomenal. Because I look back on it and I'm like, mm. I wish I was that sure of myself when I was 11. Like, go you. Yeah. I find, I like, honestly, I think they're amazing. People like that are so important because as you kind of talked about earlier, like growing up, there wasn't people around you to be able to look up to. But now if you're an 11 year old kid who feels in that way, like there's a role model there. Like you wouldn't have had that years ago because you might be like the one kid in your town or like the one kid within like fucking miles. Whereas now you can go online and see people who are like you and you can build a community that you just couldn't have happened before. Um, the drag kids are amazing because when I started working with them like two years ago now, two and a half years ago, I realised that they all knew each other. There was like some in Milan and then there was like yeah. literally a few in New York, some in Boston. And then I was like on Instagram being like, how do I find like these collectives of drag kids? Because I wanted to do like a group cover and we did it in New York. And I cast like a few from like um, different states in that area, like New York, Boston, Long Island, and did it in Brooklyn. But they all knew that I was going to message them. They, like, outed me. They were like, this girl's looking for drag <laughs> And I'd speak to someone in Berlin, and they'd be like, to try and see if we could get them to shoot at home and Photoshop them in. So we had it a bit more, like, global rather than just in one place. And um, they all knew. They were like, oh, yeah, Desmond told me that you were, like, they all bloody knew each other. Cause, and I thought that was, like, amazing <laughs> because there was, like, all these kids who felt really out of place in, like, their hometowns and things that had found this, like, online community of kids who were doing the exact same thing and loved drag. So they just built this, like, online community and, like, support network. And I think that's amazing. I mean, you said earlier that you're not a big fan of Instagram, but obviously there there are the, the positive sides to social as well. Absolutely. Do you know, I have such a massive, I'm more in the hate side of social media, but I do have a love-hate relationship with it because if it wasn't for social media, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing because it's a free platform that 
was so accessible. I found every single person that I've worked with on Instagram, pretty much. Like, I wouldn't be where I am now if I didn't have Instagram. So I really appreciate that and admire that as a platform. I just find it hard with my own personal boundaries to what I want out of the app. It doesn't benefit me. So it's like, I, it doesn't give me an option to turn off my DMs. Like I'm so accessible and that's my problem. So it's not so much as like business side, like that's fine. But I'm just, I find it really difficult because I started a magazine in all honesty because I didn't want to be like a figurehead of anything. I was like, I'm more behind the scenes. I can do all this. I was, I was so bad at public speaking. I hated presentations at uni. Like I'd shake and couldn't speak. Like you wouldn't think that now. I don't show up. But at the time, like I really had to work on that and I really wanted to be very behind the scenes. I didn't even want anyone to know it was me that was doing it in case I failed. I changed my name in the first two issues to someone different. So I found, I found that really hard. And then with social media, all of a sudden, I just ended up building a platform because of bricks. Like, it just happened. I didn't ask for it. And it sounds really self, like selfish and ungrateful, but I didn't want it. And that's what I think is really hard sometimes that people don't understand. So it was like, I am quite a recluse. I like being at home. I'm not a massive, like, social party person. I'll go out with my friends, but I'm not, like... A massive networker like I've got severe anxiety like I find things like that really difficult so things like being constantly accessible to some people someone messaged me and I don't respond I feel like guilty and I don't know like, I can't post on my stories I can't go on this I feel guilty using the app I'm like why do I feel like that they didn't feel guilty about messaging me at two in the morning and I don't want to respond so it's like I find it really difficult setting boundaries on social media and I think that's the hardest thing that I find with it I don't know how we I don't know I'm trying to think of like how we go how we go about doing that and I suppose the the app developers have a lot of responsibility well I find it bizarre because they're always saying like Instagram I think are actually the worst for it because they're saying that they want to improve our mental well-being so they'll put like things that we can have like time caps on it and we can have all these things or they take away like likes for instance and I'm like actually likes isn't going to benefit me knowing how many people have is isn't going to benefit my mental health really it's not going to make much of a difference it's actually useful for me it's like if i put out a painting and it doesn't do as well in terms of the likes then i i i know whether i need to kind of shift see i'm not bothered about it like i think what would benefit me more is them giving me the option to turn my dms off at certain times of day like twitter you don't have to have dms but it's their way of keeping you on that app uh, engaged because i've lost count how many people that won't use text anymore they just use instagram dms and then it, it, it keeps me on the app more and i'm like can you just text me like stop DMing me because then I'm on the app longer and it stresses me yeah. out. So I think yeah. that's a thing that really needs to change. You know, you can set up on Instagram an autoresponder. So you could have that saying, I don't check this inbox. If this is a serious yeah, inquiry, yeah. please email Tori at. Oh my God, that's going to change my life. I'm going to do that for everything. <laughs> yeah, there's there's uh, quite a few photographers as well who will do don't dm me just like it'll say in their bio do not respond to dms so it tells people before even message like don't expect anything and i suppose that'll reduce guilt as well but i think what's important to think about is the fact that instagram doesn't want you not to use it 
So it's just going to come down to like a self-discipline of deleting the app from your phone between these hours of the day. Make it hard to go onto it. Like if you have to, if you, if I open my phone now, like Instagram's on my little like highlights at the bottom and I'm going to go click straight onto it without even thinking. Whereas if I delete it and then open my phone, I'm like, okay, now it's a fucking ball like to go to the app store, re-download it. Like it adds that element of like resistance, like grit, but like resist. Yeah, it adds an element of resistance of like, it's hard to do so am I going to go straight to it so I suppose if that's something you are struggling with you don't want to have the messages pinging at you all the time just delete it and then say okay well if I need to do it for work then maybe I'm going to, between these hours I'm going to re-download it to my phone do what I need to do on it and then just delete it again after yeah absolutely I think it's good to have like a healthy at least I'm aware of it that's the main thing. I'm aware yeah. of what... I think that's the main thing. But yeah, it's difficult because I think we all have our own individual boundaries and needs and wants and what we get out of social media. And it's like, at the moment, it's not working for everybody, you know? So there's the awareness and then there's the actual putting action in because it's like, if you're addicted to something else like drugs or alcohol or something you'll be fully aware that you're addicted to that because you're consuming it every single day. But it's that kind of actually going to Alcoholics Anonymous or something like that, putting that action in to get better because it's. I feel like that's only going to make you a stronger person going forward once you actually put the action in to kind of go against it. Mm, mm, yeah, definitely. One thing you've done so well in terms of social media is you use it as a platform to be honest and there's there's never going to be you just putting up something to create a false narrative. Um, why did the decision for, because we touched on it a little bit at the beginning, um, tell us why you decided to kind of be really open and honest about the cleaning thing. This long story short, I went had a really, really tough year, like two years ago. And another reason why I disliked social media was because someone I'd never met or I didn't know who they were was harassing me online, which sounds like really bad. Like, I hate saying it because it's like when you think of like cyberbullying and on like online bullying, it's like a really teenage issue, but it was actually way more severe no. than that. Yeah. Like, this person was like emailing my clients, being like, don't work with Tori, she's an abuser. So I started hating, uh, like, I didn't, I almost wanted to quit my magazine. Like, I didn't want any form of like public life, nothing. So I took some time out and because I had like I had to I had to process what was going on yeah. and that's why I feel really weird still about being really accessible on the internet sometimes it's because of that situation and I so I was just like if I I was cancelling all my work like left right and center I cancelled like I was meant to go on the BBC to like talk about politics and how Brexit was going to affect Caerphilly which is where I'm from and I was like oh my god that's my dream because no one's ever listened to me like politically and took what I've said on board so I was like about I didn't do it like I literally didn't want to do anything even if it was like my dream or something it was really important to me like I really lost that for a good period of time so I was like what can I do and my flatmate at the time was like well if you need to make money I've done it now and again is I have a cleaning agency and every time you're stressed you clean and I was like, yeah, you're right. If I have a stressful email, I'll go and do the dishes for 10 minutes and come back and then write it. So yeah. I started thinking about it and was like, actually, I'm going to do that. So then it came to something like people posting about their achievements online constantly. I, 
have, in a sense, I don't think this is normal, but the m- most successful friends. Like, one, my friend Florence is like, broke a record the other day for her book. And it's like, I have like multiple friends who are writing like books. I have like, I walk down the street and I can literally see like, see four of my mates on a billboard in Brixton. It's mental. And I don't think that's normal. It's amazing. And I'm so proud of all my friends. But when you're feeling really shit and then you see all your friends doing like overachieving, like on Times Square, like billboards, like my friend Ash is like a pop star superstar. So it's just like, that's not normal, like for all your friend network to be like really successful, even though it's amazing. And I was like, but what, how do I define success? Because at the moment I've learned to clean the shower amazingly. And to me, that I've, that's a success. And that's why I've succeeded in the last couple of months. So I was just like thinking about it. And I was like, my, my dad's like the most supportive person in the world. Like, I, they've, and so is my mum actually. They've both been very good with me in understanding that like my brain just doesn't operate on like a nine to five level where I can just sit in an office and do the same thing every day. So even though we've come from no money and they've wanted me to do well, they've also been really supportive for just letting me do what I've wanted to do and trusted me that I would just get by and it would be fine. Yeah. Um, but my dad was like, you shouldn't open up about you cleaning because if you do it looks like you're not getting enough work and that your work maybe people might think you're not good enough and no one's working with you and I completely understood what he was saying but at the same time I was like this is every single person's anxiety and it's a hierarchy system and it only reserves creative success if we don't talk about our side hustles and how we actually make our work it only reserves it for the middle class so I had this like long thinking about it and I was like, I'm about to get the tube and I just finished cleaning. And I was like, I'm just going to post my cleaning videos that I make when I'm cleaning. And I did. And then I got on the tube for like half an hour so I couldn't change my mind. So then, because I was like, I don't want to regret it. And then I came Amazing. out and my Love phone blew the hell up. I came back out and it literally was everywhere. Like it was like, then other people was like clocked onto it and already within that half an hour because I used like an Instagram transparency hashtag that wasn't being used. I hijacked this hashtag that wasn't being used on Instagram. And loads of other people started opening up about their creative like side hustles. And it was like really amazing to see because they felt exactly how I felt, that they felt like they were like not successful enough or not this or not that. And actually it's the best thing to have a side job when because it only allows you to do what you love doing. It's like a, a stepping stone. And also it's like, I'm like an abled person that was born in this country. I'm so happy that I can do that job. Like there's no, like the fact that I even have a job that keeps me stable is a privilege. So when people like yeah. complain about their day jobs, I'm like, don't complain about your day job. Even if you like, you might hate it or you might, it's not what you want to be doing, but just see it as like, it's, putting a roof over your head, you're able to do it. There's a lot of people that can't get that job or this, that, and the other. So it's just trying to think differently about what these jobs were to people. And I think there has yeah. been like a little bit of a shift since, because I've seen a lot of people now being less embarrassed about talking about their side hustles and jobs. And it's made Instagram, in my creative scene anyway, like a little bit more bearable. I wasn't doing anything groundbreaking. And that's the thing. I was literally posting 
things of like me cleaning the shower and people be like, oh my God, Tori, oh my, and I'm like, take a step back and actually think what you're praising me for. I'm cleaning, I'm literally doing something so mundane and basic, but because no one posts their everyday life on Instagram, you're now praising me for it and I shouldn't be praised for it. It should be the norm. It's really bizarre. We always talk on this show, we've spoken to a lot of people who've, who've kind of left like left the nine to five behind. And we know that a lot of our listeners find that aspirational because we'll get the DMs of people saying, I'm working on this to eventually be able to, to give up my nine to five. Um, but what we spoke about recently in an intro was, especially during this time and where everything is uncertain and we have a pandemic and all of that stuff, is like, get a survival job and like that's the terminology it's a survival job and it's it's something that is going to keep you going and like you can be so grateful for that and you can learn to love it whatever it is because it is your survival job and it's the it's the method to allow you to do all of the other stuff that you love yeah absolutely absolutely i just wish social media was like a more honest place because i think it's very rose tinted and it's nice to see that I don't know, at the time there was like a lot of people speaking about like diversity and this, that, but it was always a very image focused thing. It was a very like in your face, just looking, but we weren't talking about like diversity in terms of like class or, you know, like those things were still not being talked about or done in the right way. Um, so I'm happy that a lot more people at the moment seem to be talking about like how class affects like the creative industry and things like that. It's nice to see. Yeah, you wrote something on class recently that I thought was was so interesting that that people of privilege don't understand things like um when you're when you graduate, if you don't if you're not from privilege, then you don't you you're not able to get the internship because you haven't got whoever funding and paying for you you haven't got enough like cash to allow you to do that internship and and how um classism actually is like holding back a whole swathe of creatives because they're not able to access the the entry level stuff to to get themselves on that ladder yeah that's it it's a massive problem i think it's like with internships that's like in people's head the lowest form of thing you can do that's the start and if you can't do that, and especially when a lot of like entry level jobs, it's like you need two years experience. How the hell are you going to get that two year experience if you can't even get afford to do the internship to get that experience? Yeah. So it's not, the system isn't built for working class people, unfortunately. And even though people think uh, that's not a thing, it's a massive thing. I know so many people, because I'm on the other side of it. I get a lot of people asking for internships at Bricks. And it's like, they a lot of people cannot afford because I offer remote internships and I meant like I can't pay them but they don't spend any money so that that's kind of like my priority is if you intern with me because I don't pay myself on bricks it's a labor of love no one gets that so it's like I won't allow you to put money into it and sometimes I mentor them so like one of my old editorial assistants setting up a magazine I mentor her for free every week to set that up so it's like I kind of like give it back because I think actually I wish when I was living in Cardiff that I had someone mentoring me for free every week. That would have helped me out so much. So I think it's not only just about, you know, kicking off about this on social media. It's like, what are you going to do about it? And I think that's really important. So we, I do try and offer internships to people who are remote. So for instance, like, 
I've taken on someone recently in Birmingham who can't afford to live in London and get the experience so I've been giving her the experience and we've been doing it all online together which I think is invaluable and at the same time it's a bit more the norm at the moment like in lockdown so it doesn't seem really out of place that I do that um but yeah I think less kicking off and people it's good to educate people on social media but it's like I also can't be kicking off about all these things and trying to educate people if I'm not doing anything to counteract it myself and I think that's really important what would your advice be to someone who is from kind of like a a lower income family who wanted to get into the creative industry but doesn't have those opportunities that someone of more wealth would have I think for me I did things so differently and I look back and I just wish I had a mentor or like someone and I know that's really inaccessible and not everyone has that and I think that's like a massive shame it's like an accessibility thing I think my advice would probably be is to find someone who's kind of like in a similar situation that also wants to kind of get into this particular industry and get talking to them so even if it's like they they can sit there and help each other if that makes sense because I think a community aspect of something it doesn't always have to be by yourself and I think if I had like a community even on likes at that time when I was younger like Instagram wasn't a thing I definitely try and make your like the drag kids are doing like finding your own community because that's entirely free you know and another thing is definitely a confidence thing an imposter syndrome people want to get into things and don't think other people want to work with them because they don't have anything to show it's just an yeah. idea but actually there's so many people like that like I do you know even now six years on I still get that I still message people for their emails on Instagram and like they're not going to respond to me they're not going to want to work with me why would they want to work with me and then they always do. No one ever says no. So it's like, that's it's yeah. like, there's so many people out there that want to work and don't have anyone to work with. So I think it's just like having confidence in yourself to break out of that weakness of feeling a bit, ner- it's normal, but feeling a bit nervous of, you know, getting yourself out there to just try and talk to people and see if they want to collaborate. I think that would be probably yeah. good advice. I, I love the idea of the mental thing because as you were saying that I was thinking like literally like the town I'm from if someone dm'd me saying I'm from the town that you're from I, I want to go and do something similar to you did I would fucking help them like I don't know what it is in me that I'm like I like if it was someone from somewhere completely different I might not be so inclined for it but I'd really want to help that person so I feel like yeah if you're if you're like do your research find someone who's come from where you've come from and changed their lives and moved moved into what you want to bec- like do and yeah contact them yes they might say no they might ignore you but just keep finding those people because there will be someone who's come from a similar background to you who is where you want to be yeah absolutely I definitely agree and I think that's the why I try and mentor people especially the ones that have like come and helped me with bricks and I already have like a relationship in, with them and I know what their weaknesses are and their strengths and how they are as a person to try and like help them because Nicole's amazing like she does um she did this second symphony she did a final major project started up a magazine in Cardiff I met her because I lecture occasionally there on the fashion courses and then she came and interned with me from back when I had a studio here for a month and then she was like actually I love magazines that's what I want to do I'm gonna make my own and she made her her final major project on black culture in Wales which I think is so important that's something that no one 
discusses like there are black communities in Wales that are just so ignored and actually they're the majority of the bloody culture for the last like a hundred years especially when it comes to like <laughs> town and the docks and like everyone who moved over to work at like Cardiff docks so she kind of like is educating people on black history in Wales which I think is like amazing so I've been mentoring her free once a week just like an hour or two like on a Monday morning um and just helping her just do things like why don't you set up a Twitter why don't you do a paid newsletter and then I teach her how I do that so I wish I had that like I genuinely and that's why I do it back because I wish I had that and I yeah. say I owe my entire career to like one or two people and one of them is Ashley Kane from Days because she found me on Instagram like four years ago when I was making a zine and I was at my first press, first interview, and she stayed in touch with me. And she's over the years just became like a really good friend of mine. Also cleaned her house. So it's like, I love that weird relationship I have with her from being like a client to a friend to cleaning her house. So she also gives me quite a lot of like job opportunities when she's too busy at days, she'll like recommend them to me. So, and it's just little things like that. It's just like really, really helped me out. And I really, I, I, I owe her probably the majority of my career at this point but she's my mentor without her even knowing we never had that conversation of me being like your yeah. mentor but she is i have like loads of mentors and they don't know that they're my mentor <laughs> so i think it's just nice i think having a creative community and having like people who do similar things around you is really important because you can't know everything yeah it's such it's such good advice and I think when when you reach out to mentors, if they say yes to you, it's because they see themselves in you and they look at yeah. this young person. For me, it's all about ambition um, because if I see the ambition, then I know my time's not going to be wasted. I know that I can yeah. I can give you these few little pieces of advice, and you're going to run you're going to run with them. Um, it's like me and Adam when we when we do like one on one calls with people. It's like when you feel the ambition, you know that you've not just wasted an hour of your time in giving them all this advice because you know they're going to put it into action. Yeah, no, for sure. You're so inspiring. I think like you're doing so much great work. The magazine is great. You're great. Just keep doing what you're doing. I've loved talking to you both. It's been really nice, actually. Where can people find you online, Tori? So my Instagram is Tori West, T-O-R-I, not with a Y. I'm not conservative and West like Kanye. And Bricks is... But no DMs. Don't DM me. My email is <laughs> on the button. Um, no, I actually fully welcome praise. That's my boundary. If you, someone wants to come in my DMs and praise me for my work, that's fine. Just don't ask me for things and I lose everything. <laughs> don't pretend it's my emails because I'll lose your username and never be able to respond. And, you know. Sure. And then Bricks is Bricks underscore magazine on both Twitter. I think TikTok might be the same. And Instagram. And also Nicole, who I speaking, who does the Black History in Wales magazine. That's Docs Magazine, if anyone wants to look that up, because she's doing some great things too. Amazing. Brilliant. Thanks so much. Perfect. Thanks so much for having me.